Well, good morning, everyone. Could you please get your Bible and open it to Psalm 84? Psalm 84, that's what we're going to be reading and learning from, and um, I pray God speak to us. With that, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much because you are so faithful, you are real, and you show us that you are real, you show us that you are almighty in so many ways. And Lord, there's so much need in our lives. Lord, we, without you, we can't survive. Lord, without you, we would be lost. But Lord, we are so grateful that, Lord, that you have rescued us. Lord, that you have redeemed our souls. Lord, that you give us your spirit and you give us understanding. And we pray for a little bit more understanding this, year, uh, this morning. God, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we're here because we want to continue to worship you. We want to hear you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We've titled the message, Better is One Day. Straight out of Psalm 84, Better is One Day. And if we were to think about what is the best day in your life, we'd, it'd be interesting to hear everybody's answers. Some of you might say it was the day that I married my spouse. Some of you might have in your mind a time when you were perhaps on vacation with your family and everything just went perfect. Nobody got sick. The kids didn't throw up. That kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like everything was just awesome. Everything went perfect. Some of you might say, well, it was the day that, that I gave my life to the Lord. That was the best day in my life. And if we were to ask, okay, if you imagine, could you imagine what a perfect day would be in your mind? We might all again come up with different answers. You might say, well, I could imagine myself just relaxing with peace and quiet, no phone calls, no kids screaming. But you know what? You're going to miss those kids, mark my words, right? But no kids screaming all around me, just peace and quiet. And you might think that would be the perfect day. In Psalm 84, the writer of this psalm communicates what he would refer to as the best day compared to a thousand elsewhere. And he's referring to this time when he's traveling He's going on a pilgrimage to the temple for a religious festival. And this would happen for Israelite men over the age of 20. This would happen three times a year. He, would looking, he was looking forward to going to the temple, to the tabernacle to worship God. And you know, you think about church. Church, church is fun. I can think as a little kid growing up, putting on my cowboy boots my little boy cowboy boots, and saying, Mom, Dad, is it time for church? You got to go to church. I think of my little Emma, and she'll, and she'll ask me, Dad, to, today's Wednesday, right? We get, to go to, we get to go to church today, right? And I think, yes, Emma, yes. And I thank God. Thank you, Lord, that she's looking forward to church. At a young age, we probably don't realize the depth and the meaning and the importance of going to church. 
But I pray that we gain a better understanding. There's a story of little Johnny. Little Johnny was in the backyard. His mother looked out the window, noticed him playing church with their cat. The cat was sitting quietly, and little Johnny was preaching to the cat. His mom just smiled and went about her work in the house. A while later, she heard a loud meowing and hissing and ran back to the open window to see Johnny baptizing the cat in a tub of water. She yelled out to him and said, Johnny, stop that. Cats don't like water. Johnny looked up at her and said, well, he should have thought about that before he joined my church. There's another story of a little boy who right in the middle of the sermon, young boy stands up in the middle of the sermon and he yells at the preacher, can you hurry up? This is boring. Right then a little girl sitting next to him punched him in the rib cage and said, shut up. It's church. It's supposed to be boring. (laughs) You know, Done right, I think we should all look forward to church. I think we should find a church where God's word is taught, where God is worshipped. David wrote in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. In reading and studying Psalm 84, what I see is an excitement. There's an, an excitement in the writer of Psalm 84 to go to the tabernacle or to the temple of God to worship him. And here's the question that I came up with that I want to try and answer and share with you all today. And here's the question. What were the reasons for such excitement from the psalmist to go to the temple? What were the reasons for such excitement from this psalmist To go to the temple. And in a nutshell, and I'll build up on these, I see two reasons. Reason number one was he was so excited to go and experience God's presence. Reason number one. Reason number two for such excitement is that he was eager to go and thank God and bring him gifts for his gratitude. So let's look first of all at the first two verses, and we're going to see how he is so excited to go and be in God's presence. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. The Amplified Version says, my heart and my flesh shout for joy. And it wasn't so much for the temple itself, but it was for the living God. Augustine said this, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. One commentator said, the problem is we don't realize this. Consequently, late at night, We find it necessary to watch TV. And when we're not satisfied, he says, we're then led to go to the refrigerator or to the freezer and have an ice cream sandwich. Consequently, we still find ourselves not satisfied because we were created for the Lord's pleasure 
and we were created to have fellowship with him. I think about the Lord's presence, and there's something in my mind that I, that I had studied um, a, a year ago, more or less, and that was the Shekinah glory of God. And I think back to the temple, and I think back to the time when God had led the children of Israel from Egypt throughout those 40 years. And for 40 years, God led them, and eventually he would lead them into the promised land. But the way that he led them was amazing. Imagine the tabernacle surrounded by a wall about a quarter the size of a football field. One entrance into that courtyard. The opposite end, if you were to walk all the way through that courtyard, you would see the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, you would have the holy place in the first section of it. And then you would have a veil. And behind the veil, you had what was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in that place was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, here's the thing about all this time when God would lead the Israelites. In that place, God manifested his very presence to the Israelites. To the point where you could go and actually see the presence of God there. I'm going to read to you out of Exodus chapter 40, explaining this. And it says this in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So imagine a pillar of a cloud above that tabernacle, God's presence by day. And if that cloud were to move, the children of Israel would say, okay, God is leading us somewhere. Let's pack up and let's go. And by night, there were no street lights. There was no need for that. For the glory of God was there above that tabernacle in a pillar of fire. And you think about what that must have been like to go and see that. To draw near that. To say, the God who delivered us from Egypt, who did all of the wonders, I see his glory right there. And I believe that at this time, the writer, he he has that in his mind. I'm going to go and I want to experience the presence of God. I want to go and I want to see God. I want to go and I want to meet with God. Such a beautiful thing. No place like it but the presence of God. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. 
Now, in verse 3, he goes on to say, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. And even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And many commentators believe that this is there because, first of all, the writer is, if you will, jealous of these birds. Man, it's not fair, those birds. They get to be there all the time. They get to be right there close to the presence of God all the time. Now, these two birds, right, you have, first of all, uh, what was that first bird? The sparrow. The sparrow represents, I don't mean this in a bad way, but one of the most worthless of all birds. There was no worth, there was, there was not much value in those birds. And the writer says, even the sparrow has a place there. The swallow represents a, a bird who is just restless, doesn't stay still. I, I imagine a bird that's just constantly, like, just can't stand still. And he says, even the swallow has found a place to build a nest and lay her eggs and raise her young. And here's the application there. Perhaps you at times feel worthless in your own eyes. Perhaps you feel restless in your own soul. Well, there's hope in the presence of God. There's a place for you there in the house of the Lord. And so what's the benefit of going to church? What's the benefit of going to the temple to worship God? Well, one of the benefits is we're reminded that we are valuable to God. You are reminded that God loves you so much that he paid the price for your sins. He cares for you so much. He knows every tear you cry. He knows every struggle. He loves you. And you're also reminded when you come to church that when you come and experience God's presence, you find rest. Your soul may be weary. You may be going through trials and tribulations. But when you are in God's presence, you can get lost in his presence. And the worry goes away. In verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Now, the Amplified Version expounds on that word blessed. And it says, Happy are those who dwell in your house. Fortunate are those. To be envied are those who dwell in your house all day long. And it goes on to say that they will be praising you all day long. Here's the idea. Fortunate, blessed, happy, full of joy are those who are there in God's presence. For they get to experience that and worship him all day long. I'm going just for this one time, three times a year. I'm going for this trip right now. But oh, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord for, forever, all the days of my life. A little bit more on that to come. So that's the first point. Why was there so much excitement in the psalmist? Well, he was going to experience the presence of God. The second thing, the second reason that I see for so much excitement in this psalmist is that he was eager to thank God and to bring him gifts. He was eager to thank God and bring him gifts for who God is and for all that God has done. The reason 
for him wanting to go to the temple was because the public worship in the temple was the worship of, as it says in verse 1, the Lord of hosts. That is the Lord of all creation, the Lord of heaven's armies, the creator of heaven and earth. That is who I'm going to worship, and he is worthy of all my worship. Now, here's a point that we need to make. We will never feel like worshiping God until we understand something of his greatness. We're not going to feel like worshiping God until we understand something of his greatness. The greater God is in my eyes, the greater will be my desire to worship him. So I have a question for you. How much of a desire do you have to worship God? How much of a desire do you have to, in our day and age, go to church and worship God? The sad fact is that many who profess to know the Lord, they have very little or no appetite at all for worship. And that's sad. That is a sad truth. What they lack in desire... They make up for in excuses. The thing is, if we truly feel grateful, if we truly have gratitude towards God, if we truly understand how awesome God is, how much he's done for you, how much he's done for me, then we're going to not lack in this desire, this intense desire that this psalmist has. Now, I point out that it's, There's this eagerness to worship God for who he is, but also for what he has done. The psalmist is writing about going on this pilgrimage, this trip to the temple or to the tabernacle. And there were three times a year when adult Israelite men were required to go and celebrate these feasts at the temple or the tabernacle, three times a year. I'm going to read to you out of uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 16, where we're told this. It says, each year, every man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals. The festival of unleavened bread, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He chooses, but they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. And all must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. And so every man above about the age of 20, I believe, was required. Men and women, family could go. They were invited, but men were required to go to these three festivals or these three feasts And they should not show up empty-handed. Now, briefly, the three feasts. The first feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also known as the Passover, was one of the three pilgrimages that they were to take to go to the temple and worship. Both the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread serve as a memorial of the great redemption accomplished through the Exodus. Passover and unleavened bread happened around March or April. Passover was a celebration of deliverance from the bondage in Egypt 
and the unleavened bread was a reminder of the hasty departure from Egypt. So think about this. They're going to that festival to celebrate, to remember what God had done and to thank him for his faithfulness. The second of the three festivals was the Feast of Harvest, also known as the Feast of Weeks, the Day of First Fruits, what we know as Pentecost. That would take place 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost was a harvest celebration. Various sacrifices of thanksgiving were offered, including what was known as a free will offering. What is a free will offering? A free will offering was an adequate offering brought by individual worshipers as a token of gratitude for God's goodness. This feast celebrated the entrance into the promised land and its bounty. And so they would bring part of their harvest. They would thank God for the rich land that they had and the harvest that they were enjoying, the bounty. Again, remembering what God had done and thanking him for his faithfulness. Now, the third feast, the, fi- the festival of shelters, also known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. The Israelites would temporarily gather in branch-covered booths. This coincided with the end of harvest. The people lived in rustic shelters, reproducing the simple dwellings they used in their wilderness wanderings. It was the most joyous of all the feasts, for it contrasted what had been with what was. It was a memorialization of God's goodness. The remembrance of the wilderness wandering was considered an occasion of joy connected to God's saving work on Israel's behalf. Thanksgiving for the exodus and God's never-failing goodness was given, and a large number of sacrifices were offered during this week's celebration. Now, here's why I bring these three festivals up. Amongst many things, I see two things that they all have in common. The first thing that they all have in common is there was celebration and remembering, remembrance of God's faithfulness. They were to go these three times and celebrate and remember God's faithfulness. The second thing that I see in common, and this is, this is what hit me the hardest this week. The second thing that I see in common is that for all three of these, gifts were to be brought to God by every individual. Gifts were to be brought by God or brought to God by every individual. You know, the same should be true of us today. Now, let's think about this for just a second. When we come before the Lord, when we meet together, we might come and you might say, I need to go because I need this. And I understand it's true. We need God. But have you ever come with this in mind? I am going to church because I can't wait to give God this gift. Now, I'm not talking about money. There's so much that you can give to God. And you think about this. What could you you offer to the Lord? The psalmist is excited to go. He's excited to go and remember God's faithfulness. He's excited to go and bring this gift. And it wasn't going to be his leftovers 
of a gift. It was going to be the first and the best of what he could offer God. Because he's thankful. What do you have that you can offer God? A few examples. You might go to church and say, Lord, today I'm going and I have a gift for you, Lord. Today I want to give you my heart. My heart hasn't been in the right place. My heart has been uh, consumed with other things, other people, possessions, perhaps money. But Lord, you know what? I realize that it's been in the wrong place. Today I come and I'm going to church because I want to give you my heart again today. Perhaps you can go to church and you say, Lord, I'm coming and today my gift to you, I want to give you my mind. My mind's been thinking about so many other things and I realize it hasn't been thinking about you. Lord, I want to bring to you and give you and lay on the altar my mind. I want to give that to you today. Another example, Lord, you might say, today I come and I want to give you my body. These hands, these feet, the energy that I have, this body, I want it, Lord, it's yours. I give it to you as a gift This body is no longer mine. I come, I'm going to church because I want to give you my body. Lord, how can I serve you? How can I be your hands and your feet? It'd be nice to come to church and think, who can I pray for today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I help today? Everyone should have something to offer the Lord When we come to church. That hit me hard this week. Moving on. If we consider those three feasts. We know it's very interesting. You think about the Passover. That is when the passion of Christ took place. That is when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. That is when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And we remember what he did for us on the cross how he paid the price for our sins. And by the way, here at this church, we celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion once a month. Come to those. Every first Wednesday of the month, unless it's the the first month of the quarter, then we do communion on Sunday. I don't know what it is about communion, and I don't know if you can relate, but when I partake of communion with fellow believers, I am so blessed. I am so encouraged. It's special. And then you think about the other festival, Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion of Christ. You have the disciples in the room and the Holy Spirit being poured out upon God's people, empowering them, baptizing them with the Holy Spirit. And so we have... So much to thank God for, so much to think about, so many reasons to go to church. Going on, why else was he eager to thank him? Well, look at verses 5 through 7. He was eager to thank him for the strength that God provided him. Verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacaw, they make it a spring 
The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. This is to say, Lord, as we travel, you would think that the pilgrim would get more and more tired through this long trip. He mentions this valley of Bacal. And just imagine in your mind a dry valley, probably one of the hardest areas that they had to travel through to get to the temple. And he says, but when I am on this pilgrimage, as the days go by, as I get closer, I don't get more tired. I get more strength. There's so much anticipation in what I'm looking forward to that, God, you give me strength. So much so that this valley of Bacal, it's as if there was a valley of springs. It's nothing to me. And it says we go from strength to strength. And just over and over, the God keeps re, uh, or God keeps renewing my strength, over and over. Um, you know, there's there's something to be said about this pilgrimage. Today, I bet you there are some of you who didn't have to travel more than five minutes to get here in an air-conditioned vehicle, right? We don't we don't experience this long pilgrimage, but perhaps we can apply it like this. Sunday to Sunday could be seen as a pilgrimage. And we come on Sunday and we leave and we're throughout the week we're facing different valleys, perhaps trials, life happens, work doesn't go the way we had hoped, something happens, somebody gets hurt, somebody gets sick, bad news comes our way. But as we are making our way through the week, we get to the next Sunday and we go to worship God, to bring him gifts. And God is just going to continuously give us energy and strength to continue on. Another reason he gives thanks, verse 10, is for true satisfaction. Look at what he says. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's saying a day in your courts will be better than a thousand days anywhere else. I would rather be just even a doorkeeper in God's house than to be at ease in the tents of wickedness. I would rather be cast into a common and unhonored place provided I were among the people of God than to be exalted to the highest rank of honor among unbelievers. Do we understand what he's saying here? The slightest contact with God through real heartfelt worship is more satisfying than the deepest involvement in sin. Being in God's presence, being in a place where God is worshipped is better than any other place of sin. You know, the sinful life always promises satisfaction, but the deeper into sin one gets, the less satisfied you become. The life of sin offers no light, no shield, no grace, no glory. The life of sin only offers darkness and danger and grief and ruin. And here's the danger for the believer. When the people of God do not delight themselves in the worship of the Almighty God, 
They make their company with those who dwell in the tents of wickedness and rob themselves of immense satisfaction. And then they begin to act as if they have more in common with the wicked than they do with the people of God. And that is dangerous. So you think about that. It is good to go with a group of people to worship the Lord. Here we have church Sunday mornings. We have church Wednesday nights. The, the men meet on Tuesdays. The women meet on Thursdays. There's no stopping you from having, a, from having a Bible study with a group of friends. And here's the thing. When you're not doing those things, where do you or where might you find yourself? You might find yourself dwelling in the tents of the wicked. Don't go there. It's better to be in the house of God. He says, I would even just be, like, I don't need to be up front. I don't need to be noticed. I just want to be a doorkeeper if I could just be there. Listening to God's word. Worshiping God. Hearing stories of God's faithfulness. What a joy that would be. Then he has a list here in verse 11. Look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's a sun and a shield. To say he's a sun is to say he's the one who enlightens. He's the one who quickens. He's the one who directs and comforts his people. You ever try walking difficult terrain in the dark? You ever try, imagine walking up uh, from one of those trails at Trans Mountain in complete darkness without a flashlight. I'd have an anxiety attack, right? But walk up that trail in broad daylight and the worry is gone. I can see every step that I take. I can see miles uh, beyond. I I know what's coming up. That is God to us. He is our son, if you will. He's also our shield, and that is to say, he's the one who saves us from all of our enemies. Death, sin, Satan, God has defeated all of them. He is your shield. He goes on to say, he gives grace and glory. God gives us grace, that is his favor that we don't deserve. He gives us glory, and that's interesting to think about. That's the honor which comes from God here, but especially, more specifically, that eternal glory that we look forward to. A long time ago, my grandfather was, he was old, and I would, I would always ask him a question. He always had an interesting answer. I always had to, like, think when he gave me an answer. But I asked him this day, I said, how are you doing? And he said, oh, I feel younger today than I did yesterday. And I'm thinking, and he says, because the Bible says that the inward man is being renewed day by day. And I said, wow, that makes sense. And there's that verse. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's what God blesses us with. He's so good to us. And then last in verse 11, he says, he withholds no good thing 
from those who walk uprightly. That is, from those who do what is right. One commentator uh, said, for those who can say this, if I'm walking with the Lord, perhaps not perfectly, but simply if my heart is right, I can be absolutely assured that there is one good there is not one good thing that God will hold back from me. To walk upright with God is to be devoted to God and to be honest with your fellow men. Then look at the closing verse in verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Blessed, again, that is to say, happy is the man, fortunate is the man, to be envied is the man. The New Living Translation says, Oh, what joy for those who trust in you. And what does it mean to trust in him? It means that you lean on him. It means that you believe on him. You commit all to him. You confidently look to him. And so, in closing, what caused such excitement for this, for this psalmist was not so much the place, but what was going to happen when he got there. This is the place where we're all going to corporately meet with God. We come and we cry out for the living God. We don't want to just come and go through the motions. We want to come and encounter the living God. Would you agree with that? We want to come and we want to encounter him. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for just that. We want to meet with you every single week more than once. Lord, we want to come and meet with the Almighty. We want to remember your faithfulness. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. We want to worship you for who you are. There is no one like you. Lord, we would love to get lost in your presence. Better would be one day in your presence than a thousand anywhere else. And that is what we long for. That is what, what our hearts long for. And Lord, not only that, we want to come and we want to bring you gifts because we are so grateful. And I want to say to everyone here this morning, perhaps you didn't anticipate bringing a gift to the Lord this morning. Perhaps you might think, well, I came empty-handed. Well, let me tell you, you did not come empty-handed. The Lord would be so pleased and so blessed if you were to give him your heart this morning. He would be so pleased and so blessed if you were to give him your life this morning. And so how about that? Would you offer God your heart, your life, your mind, your body, your soul? Would you offer him that gift this morning? Perhaps you would say a prayer like this to him. Lord, I come before you right now. And I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my soul. 
I want to give you my mind and my body. I want to lay them on your altar and say, God, this is my gift to you. I give it to you. It is yours. Lord, would you take that gift? Would you receive that gift? Lord, we declare that you are God. We believe that you paid the price for our sins on the cross. We believe that you died and you rose again. Would you be our Lord? God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.